Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. All right, Daniel chapter 9. We are about to enter uh, holy ground. Um, you know, th- this, this chapter is so, it, it's, 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 it's incredible for two different reasons. Number one, you have one of the greatest prayers in all of the Bible in this chapter. And that's, that's the dominant, that's what takes up the majority of the chapter. I mean, that's, that's like... Uh, I forget how many, how many verses are in the chapter. Um, 20, 27 verses in, in the entire chapter. And 19, 20, you know, more than 20 of them are taken up. If you include the angel who comes down and responds to Daniel's prayer, um, it's all taken up by prayer. Daniel's prayer, which we're going to look at in depth tonight. In fact, it's probably the only thing we'll look at tonight. It's It's incredible. It's Unbelievable. So far, what do we know about Daniel? He has an excellent spirit. What else? What's that? Yeah, he's, he, he uses wisdom to authority. He's just, uh, he's bold, but he's, but he's respectful. Uh, he, he, he has um, control over his appetites. Um, he, what else? Fears God. What? Fears God more than man. Um, he is beloved by God. Um, what else? He's faithful. So, so far, nobody has said anything negative. What's, what's the negatives about Daniel that we know so far? Not one thing. The Bible has not one negative thing to say about this man. And in 20 chapters, he's going to do nothing but confess his sin. So what should you be doing? Are you Daniel? Are you as good as Daniel? Are you as excellent as Daniel? Are you as loved as Daniel? Are you as faithful as Daniel? I'm not. 
And so if this does not characterize us, then what do we need a lot of? Prayer. And what do we probably lack the most? Anybody here ready to stand up and say, nope, I have the perfect prayer life. I don't need any more. No. You know what else he does in this chapter? Fast. Ashes. Sackcloth. Um, he, he afflicts himself. And we talked a lot about in Daniel chapter 1 how he, that his favor with God is directly connected to his willingness to control his appetite. Literally, his food. Because he was willing to eat beans for, for however long it took, God said, that man has control over his body. I'm going to give him visions. I'm going to give him understanding. I'm going to give him knowledge. I'm going to give him wisdom. And I can trust him with it. If God gives you those things and you have no control over yourself, we talked about it several times, you will be a monster. You'll be Solomon. You'll be destructive instead of helpful. Instead of using all that wisdom that God gave him, Solomon had no control over his appetites. He wanted the women. He wanted the money. He wanted, he wanted all of it. And he wanted the wisdom. And that is a recipe for disaster. If you, it, it looks to me, if you could control your diet, literally. Now, I'm not telling you you got to eat like Daniel. If you can just... Have enough self-discipline to control the food you eat on a daily basis. God looks at that and says, there's something to that person. I can help them. I can use them. I can trust them. When your appetites are out of control, your flesh is out of control, your body is out of control, you're, you're dangerous. You can't be used. God wants to give you these blessings, but he knows if he gives it, gives it to you. You know, when, when throughout my life as a Christian, I, I have dealt with an inordinate number of drug addicts. I don't know why. For years, it seemed like they just they found me wherever I went. <laughs> We'd be sitting in a restaurant and a guy will randomly come over and sit down and ask if he can talk to me. It turns out he's a drug addict who needs help. And I end up sitting there for an hour or two witnessing to him. Like, how, did somebody tell you I was here? No, I just, you just look like the person I needed to talk to. Yeah, right. Like somebody is like calling these people when I go places and saying he's there. <laughs> but this is, a, this is how you become a drug addict. You complete, it's not, it's not that you're addicted to the drug. That's a part of it. You're addicted to the feeling. Then you become addicted to a lifestyle. And you completely let go so that you can keep chasing that lifestyle. And the problem is you take a step into that. It's like, well, that, was, that felt good. That was, that was interesting. And I didn't get in trouble and didn't lose anything. So I'm going to take that step again. And then I'm going to take that step again. Well, eventually that's not enough. So you got to step further. Okay, that, that did it. That, that, that recharged me. That, that gave me that feeling again. I just had to go a little bit further down that road. Well, then eventually that doesn't, that's not enough. Then you got to go further and then you got to go further. And the next thing you know, you've abandoned your family. You've abandoned your home. You've abandoned your job. You've abandoned your finances. You're out in the streets stealing from people and doing other horrendous things that we can't even talk about in front of mixed company just so you can try and fulfill this feeling that you have no control over your appetites. 
Then when you, when you want to help those people, and, and I, every drug addict I have talked to, I have offered to send them, to pay with my own money to send them somewhere where I know they could get help. Not one of them would accept my offer. It would cost them nothing. They would stay there for free. The people would help them, give them the treatment they needed, help them get a job, help them get back on their feet, do it all in a godly manner. These are godly institutions, people who love the Lord. All they can think about is what they'd have to let go of if they go and do that. And I don't, I don't want to turn my back on my appetite. And we, do, we, we all do it in some way, whether it's food or uh, Facebook or movies or music or what, whatever it is that you, you, you have allowed to become an addiction in your life. You've given yourself over to it. You have to regulate it. Put restrictions on it on purpose. I'm, I, you know, I, I have to accomplish all this before I can do that. And if I do that, I'm only going to do it for this amount of time, and that's it. And if you don't, if you don't get control of your appetites, God will want to bless you, and He can't. If you can't control yourself, and God blesses you and gives you wisdom and knowledge and understanding that surpasses other people, what are you going to do with it? You're going to use it to fulfill your appetites. You're not going to use it to the honor and glory of God. Daniel could be trusted with those things. And so now we go into Daniel chapter 9. The main concern with the book of Daniel is the prophecy of the 70 weeks. That's, that's what everybody wants to go through. If, in fact, people know just a few things about Daniel. There's a lion's den, some Hebrew boys with Babylonian names got thrown in a fire and didn't burn up. And Daniel 9. <laughs> that's it. That's all they know about Daniel. You ask them anything else about Daniel? Like, I don't know. I know 70 weeks is there, and I know three Hebrew boys got thrown in the fire, and Daniel got thrown in a lion's den. And that's pretty much it. Which is a shame, because the book is so incredible. But the 70 weeks is definitely a highlight of the book. It's one of the most prominent pieces of prophecy that exists in the Bible. And it helps, just as we've talked about as we've gone all along, from Daniel 2... A timeline was set for the time of the Gentiles. Then you go all the way to Daniel uh, 7 and Daniel 8, and, and, it, and it builds upon those timelines. It builds upon that timeline. It all fits within the same timeline, and you've got to lock yourself in that timeline. There, there's a wide range of teachings regarding uh, the book of Daniel, uh, and, and even Daniel's relationship to the book of Revelation. One of the newer ones is that Three and a half years of the tribulation already took place when Jesus was on earth and that Judas was the son of perdition. So that just proves that he was actually the Antichrist and half the tribulation already took place. And so we're only waiting on three and a half years. Well, that that's odd because Daniel nine says it's a full week. And it tells you in Daniel nine what what the conditions are to determine when that week are going to come. Right, so so the before the week ever starts, Messiah is cut off. <laughs> when did that happen? When Jesus was on the earth. He's the Messiah. He was cut off. Well, we don't get the information about that week until after that. All right, so there's there's you just you, you have to get your timeline straight. The book of Daniel helps settle that. 
And then once you have that straight in the book of Daniel, you've got to lock yourself into it. Because people are going to come at you with all sorts of stuff. And you've got, to, you've got to ask yourself, does this fit in the timeline? It does not. It can't be true. Or my timeline is wrong. Which you need to be able to go back and prove that your timeline is wrong. If your timeline is not wrong, then the new doctrine or the new teaching is wrong. And we're going to have to thank them for the offer, but <laughs> we like good meat. <laughs> Now, certain timelines are set in the book of Daniel and cannot be violated. Proper understanding of these timelines will greatly help our understanding of Scripture and prophecy. But before we go to this important prophecy, we read of Daniel's prayer. So, so the second thing what I was going to put up here is the, the 70 weeks. All right, so that, that prophecy takes up the second part of the chapter, and it's incredibly, incredibly important. Um, which we will probably talk about, Lord willing, we'll talk about in detail next week. Is it next week? Yeah, next week. All right, so we're going to talk about Daniel's prayer. Daniel is reading the Word of God. Isn't that interesting? He's reading the Word of God, and it immediately encourages him to go before God in prayer. So I wonder why there's not much prayer in the lives of Christians today. I mean, I, I, we can't take this as a definitive cause, but I would say that there's definitely a relationship there. Daniel says, I was reading God's word. I came to understand the 70 years, and I immediately started praying and, and, and talking to the Lord. You, you see the progression there? <laughs> I read, it gave me understanding, and then based on that understanding, I immediately went to God in prayer. He didn't Oh, Lord, this is great. Lord, I pray about the weather, and, uh, and my uncle's sick. And uh, <laughs> He's praying about what he just learned and, and, and what comes next. And, pour, and, and with understanding now, he's pouring his heart out to God and praying to the Lord. And so if you don't read the Word of God, it's not going to inspire you to pray. You just got to force yourself to pray. If you read the Word of God more, it might, take you to, it might bring you to your knees. Um, for all Solomon's faults, when what that temple was finished and he, he began praying, if you read that chapter that, that, that describes him praying to God, he starts off standing with his hands up in the air, and by the end of the chapter, he's on his knees. I don't know what happened to him <laughs> several chapters later, but <laughs> at least there he's, pr- he's praying and pouring his heart out to God. So uh, I remind you, he did not have a complete copy of God's word, but he loved and read what he had. Not only so, it it moved him into prayer and confessing his sin before God. How would it be for us if we only had a copy of the book of Jeremiah? How would you enjoy that? All you had was Jeremiah. That'd be a pretty rough book to have to read all the time. Regardless, Daniel searched the scriptures that he had, and it was profitable to his life and his understanding. That's a unique feature of God's Word. Um, now, now try and imagine this. Imagine reading the book of Jeremiah as Daniel. <laughs> You're literally reading about your captivity. <laughs> You're reading about when you were taken captive. And, and you're living through it. And then suddenly you come to understand that, that God said of that captivity, it's going to be 70 years all right, not to be confused with the 70 weeks. We're going we're to 
make sense of all this uh, as we go. Um, so 70 years are determined upon thy people, and so, so they're, they're going to be 70 years in captivity. And at the time he reads this, they're about, uh, some, ex, ex, some, some say about 62 to 67 years into it. So he's about, the, the, the decree is about to be made, but the, the, and then one of the outstanding features of it is Cyrus. Well, who, who just became king of Babylon? Cyrus. Now, he's got Darius ruling in his stead, but Darius is ruling under Cyrus. He took it on behalf of Cyrus. And, you know, so this is the Medes and the Persians. Who did God say was going to come next? Who's represented by the silver? The Medes and the Persians. Gold, then silver. Who comes after Babylon? Huh? Medes and the Persians. Grisha comes after the Medes and the Persians. All right, so now he's reading this, and it says that 70 years, after 70 years, Cyrus is going to send you back. And he's like, wait a minute, that's the guy that just took over. <laughs> he's now our king. Just like God said, we're about to go back. We're about to be released. That had to be an unbelievable moment. That, that sudden realization that what God is talking about here, it's happening right now. And I'm living through it. Be incredible. Um, after, the, after 70 years, he would set your people free. This sudden grasp of understanding from God's word sent Daniel into one of the greatest examples of humble prayer in the word of God. Let's look at verse 1. Let's read verses 1 through 19, and then we'll look at it verse by verse. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books and the, the number of years whereof the word of the, of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but look at that wording. So he's going to accomplish 70 years. This is an accomplishment by God. It's not, it's not some unfortunate disruption, you know, for God's people. It's not like they, somebody overpowered God and took his people into captivity. This is something God accomplished. God rose up an army from the north and said, go take my people into captivity. And Nebuchadnezzar said, okay. <laughs> and then God rose up a king that he prophesied of hundreds of years before and said, well, he's going to come and take you and then he's going to send them back. And now it's, it's, all, it's an accomplishment. It's all happening just like God said, which is incredible. Uh, he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And I set my face unto the Lord, Lord God, to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments, we have sinned and have committed iniquity. Who is we? What did Daniel do? 
As far as we know, we know two things for certain. Daniel was excellent, highly loved, hard to find anything wrong he ever did. And we also know all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So did he have sin in his life? Uh, Probably. (laughs) Likely. But look at the humility. Daniel had nothing to do with what Israel did that got them there. Not, Not likely. I mean, possibly, but not likely. And he says, we did this. He didn't say, it's not like that, 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 uh, that, that Pharisee praying before God. He says, I thank you, I'm not as this other man. He said, no, we did this. We deserve this. We sinned. He doesn't separate himself from, from the foolishness of his people. Um, verse 5, we have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants, the, the, the prophets, which spake in thy name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee, but unto us confusion of faces as at this day to, to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and unto all Israel that are near and that are far off, through all the uh, countries whither thou hast driven them because of their trespass, that they have trespassed against thee. O Lord, to us belongeth confusion of face, to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. To the Lord our God belong mercies and forgivenesses, uh, though we have rebelled against him, neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Yea, all Israel have transgressed thy law, even by departing that they might not obey thy voice. Therefore, the curse is poured upon us and the oath that is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against him. And he hath confirmed his words, which he spake against us and against our judges that judged us by bringing upon us a great evil. For under the whole heaven hath not been done as hath been done upon Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this evil is come upon us. Yet made we not our prayer before the Lord our God, that we might turn from our iniquities and understand thy thy truth. Therefore hath the Lord watched upon the evil and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all his works, which he doeth, for we obeyed not his voice." And now, O Lord our God, that hast brought thy people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and hast gotten the uh, the renown, as, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all thy righteousness, I beseech thee, let thine anger and thy fury be turned away from thy city, Jerusalem, thy holy mountain, because our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and thy people are become a reproach to all that are, that are about us. Now, therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. O my God, incline thine ear and hear. Open thine eyes and behold our desolations and the city which is called by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before thee. For our righteousness, but for thy, thy great mercies. O Lord, hear, O Lord, uh, forgive, O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not for thine own sake, 
O my God, for the city and thy people are called by thy name. It's pretty incredible. Back to verse 1. The first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over, over the realm of the Chaldeans. Um, now, the, we're given kind of a time frame to follow here. Um, you know, the, the Lord is sort of setting when this takes place. And of course, it really, it's really primarily only helpful uh, in the book of Daniel because um, this is the, um, the first year of Darius. All right, so, so what else might have happened in the first year of Darius that we've already read about? I'm sorry? What else happened in that chapter? What chapter was it and what happened in that chapter? What happened? Daniel was in the lion's den. Which is very possibly the first year. Now it doesn't... Uh, it doesn't tell us it was in the first year, um, but, it, but it, we do know it's when Darius took over and he's establishing his government. So it happened sometime soon after that when these men realize we, we can't do anything with Daniel. He is just faithful. We can't find any, any, any fault against him. And so that, that kind of puts us in this time frame. What happened in the chapter prior at the end? Lost his life <laughs> and his kingdom. Lost everything. Let me give you robes and riches and make you third ruler in the kingdom. Yeah, no, it's in, in about two hours, it's not going to be any good. So <laughs> you can just keep it. <laughs> I'd rather not go through the ceremony and all that garbage. Just, just keep it. Um, but this, this, so this prayer, so this, this is just kind of setting the time for us and kind of helping us uh, get an idea chronologically where things are in the book of Daniel because the book of Daniel is not laid out chronologically. It's, it's interesting because you have chapter 5, Belshazzar dies. Chapter 6, uh, Darius is setting up his kingdom. Chapter 7, we're back in Belshazzar's kingdom. <laughs> it's like, what? Wait a minute. <laughs> what happened here? And then chapter 8, Belshazzar. Chapter 9, Darius. And so, um, so here, here we are. Uh, but that this this prayer that that it's a prayer of confession uh, primarily. There are other parts to it, but it's it's a wonderful example for us to follow. This is the proper way to pro- approach God with the proper humility and reverence that that He deserves. I mean, He he's, He is so tender-hearted towards God, but He doesn't allow His tenderness towards God to overtake his reverence of God. And how many times does he say, oh, Lord God? I mean, he's just pouring his heart out. But he also acknowledges this is the great and dreadful God that you don't want to toy with. This is the same God who sent us into captivity. So maybe I should probably be respectful when I approach him. Instead, you know, people today, he's just the man upstairs. They act like he's some kind of stupid teddy bear that you can play, you know, throw around when you want to. That's not how you approach God. God is not, I mean, he, he is, God is, very, is far more stern than we would like him to be or, or that, than we tend to think of him. But at the same time, he's gracious. You've got to have both. You, you can't, 
you can't approach God without that balance. I mean, you can, it's just not a good idea, and, and it's not correct. Daniel has that balance. If you desire to be clean, to experience the cleansing spoken of in 1 John chapter 1, this is the example. When it says that we can go before God and, and be cleansed, we can confess our sins to God, and He is faithful and just to cleanse us from all our sins, that's what Daniel's doing here. Uh, in terms of a process, it would, it would include reading God's Word, gaining understanding, and then in light of that understanding, pray to God in, in confession. That's, that's the progression that took place. He's reading the Bible, the book of Jeremiah. He suddenly gains understanding, and then he immediately goes into prayer. And, 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 and the subject of his prayer is related to the understanding that he just, that he just gained. They're not disconnected. And, and that's, you know, it's, it's amazing to me how we can have someone come and preach an amazing sermon on something that just, just touched all our hearts. And then after it's over, they say, uh, you know, Brother Waibi, would you pray? And then Brother Waibi gets up and prays and said, uh, Lord, help the Matoke to do good this year and um, help the, uh, the rain to come. We don't know when the rainy season is anymore. It makes no sense. Would you help the rain to come? It's like, what, what does any of that have to do with what we just... Now, he, he didn't really do that. I'm just, you know, say that, that's what we do. You know, pray for my mom. She's got, she's sick. Well, I mean, I, I'm, you should pray for your mom and, and, and being sick or, or wh- whoever it is, whatever it is. But... Wouldn't it be good to pray in light of the understanding that we just gained from the Word of God and, 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 to, and to build upon that through prayer and ask the Lord to help us with that and apply it to our lives? And we just, it's like, what did he preach about? I don't even remember. <laughs> like he just ended two minutes ago. Yeah, I, was, I was playing games on my phone. So this is the process. Read God's Word, gain understanding, go to prayer. In light of the understanding, pray about what God just showed you. Pray about what what just came to mind and and how he just helped you. We have a serious problem in the world today, and and this is going to be confusing if if we don't um, put it in its proper perspective. It's confusing because I said we have a serious problem in the world, but it's it's not the world that, that generally is the problem. I wonder if this works better. The world has a problem. All right, well, we know that, right? We, we understand that the world has serious issues. But the problem for the world is that Christians essentially are slothful. They're derelict in their duty. They don't do what they're supposed to be doing. They don't go where they're supposed to be do- going. They don't apply themselves where they're supposed to be applying themselves. Um, God's people refuse to cleanse themselves. I mean, we could list a number of issues, Bible reading, prayer, uh, witnessing, attending church, um, uh, getting mad at other, you know, your brothers and sisters in Christ and holding grudges. I mean, we could list a whole list of, of, of issues, of problems that we could lay out here. But when's the last time you just went before God and just poured your heart out 
confessing your sin and asking to be cleansed. And then made an effort to actually remove those problems. See, this, this is the issue. We, if, if by happen chance a preacher comes or the pastor gets up or whoever is preaching preaches on something that convicts us, we say, man, I should fix that. Well, let's go get lunch. <laughs> and that's it. It's over. It doesn't go home. There's no brokenness. There's no sackcloth and ashes. There's no fasting. No, nobody really cares. There's no cleansing. And so we're all a bunch of unclean things washed in the blood of Jesus Christ who refuse to remove sin from our life. And we just, I mean, God's gracious, God's merciful, so it's okay. Going to heaven anyways, it's okay. Still got a job, still got money coming in. So it doesn't matter. I can just keep going and, and keep doing what it, it, you sound like. We, we sound like that scoffer in Peter. <laughs> All things just continue as they are. Well, they do because you don't change anything. They do because every time you're convicted about something, sure, it breaks your heart. Maybe. And sure, you want to change it. <laughs> maybe. But do you? This is going to be a fun class tonight. <laughs> You're already looking at me like I beat you with baseball bats, and we haven't even gotten started yet. <laughs> I could barely go through this. Typing this out today is just, it's unbelievably convicting. What makes it worse is I'm not Daniel. I'm not like Daniel. I wish I were. I'm far worse. And here he is pouring his heart out, confessing his sin and praying to God and doing, doing what we, would, we wouldn't even assume he needed to do. Our lack of Bible reading, prayer, and our pride and other sin in our lives need to be confessed and repented of. Daniel has lived an exemplary life of purity and integrity before God, and yet here he is confessing his own sin and the sin of Israel. If it's true of Daniel, what, should, what, what does that say about us? And when are these things going to change in our lives? It's, you're all looking at me like, you're all looking all sad and down now. Look, we haven't had any preaching in this class in a while. It's been all teaching. It's been all doctrine. Amen. So you're going to get a night of it tonight. <laughs> so cheer up. <laughs> you can go have lunch when it's over. You don't have to change anything. So. <laughs> We're given the name of Darius to help us mark the time. He has been made king of Babylon and is reigning in place of Cyrus. In the first year of the reign and of the in the reigns of Darius and Cyrus, of course, it's the Medes and the Persians. Daniel came to understand the length of the captivity in Babylon. They would be there seventy years, and then God would raise up a king named Cyrus to set Judah free. All right, now let's add a little teaching. Let's take a little break for a minute, then we'll come back to the convicting stuff. <laughs> Look at Jeremiah twenty-five. 
Where did he get this idea from? He said he got it from Jeremiah. So let's see what Jeremiah says about this. Jeremiah 25, verse 11. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. All right, and of course, we've read plenty, turn to chapter 29, but we've read plenty about um, they're being taken captive. We went through all that prior history before we even got into the book of Daniel. When Last semester when we started the book. Um, but Jeremiah prophesied and said, you're, go- you're going for 70 years. But false prophets argued with Jeremiah and told the people, we're not even going to go into Babylon. Then they went into Babylon. And you know, they go into Babylon, and then the false prophets are like, yeah, but we're not going to be here that long. So we're gonna, God, any day God's going to take us back. So Jeremiah sends this letter to, to the people in captivity and says, buy a house, <laughs> have children, settle down. It's going to be 70 long years. You can listen to the false prophets all you want. I tell you what, go, before you go to the, fa- the, the false First Baptist Church on Sunday, Buy a house. <laughs> you're going to need somewhere to live because you're going to be there for a while. You can go listen to this lying prophet lie to you and tell you you're, not, you're coming back any day now. But just do yourself a favor. Buy a house. <laughs> Jeremiah 29, look at verses 4 through 10. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon. Build ye houses, and dwell in them, and plant gardens, and eat the fruit of them. Take ye wives, and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons, and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, that ye may be increased there, and not diminished. Because you're not coming home for a long time. Uh, verse, uh, verse 7, And seek the peace of the city, whither I have caused you to be carried away captives and pray unto the Lord for it. For, for, in the pe- for in the peace thereof shall ye have peace. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you. Neither hearken to your dreams, which you, you, you cause to be dreams. Like you're just making it up. You're just making yourself dreams. Don't, don't, don't listen to it. Verse 9, for they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, saith the Lord. For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. Not until after 70 years. So whoever's telling you it's only going to be a few months, it's only going to be a few years. They're lying to you. Don't listen. Buy a house. Pray for the peace of that place. And notice he didn't say, you know, build a house and stack up arms and create a militia and take over Babylon. Look, if you want to live and worship in peace, you better better seek the peace of that country. Seek the peace of that nation. You want them to leave you alone? You need to do all you can strive to have a peaceful place to live. Now, we learn from this incident with Daniel that he is a student of prophecy. 
He was a prophet himself who received dreams, visions, and spoke with angels, and received great love and favor from God. But none of this kept him from God's word. He never reached a place in which he felt he was finished. He no longer needed the word of God. That'd be easy to tell people, do you know who I am? (laughs) I was just talking to an angel last night. I don't need the word of God. I mean, but he was literally talking to an angel just, just last night. But Daniel never had that type of attitude, that type of spirit. He never got to a place where he, he felt so high-minded at what, what God had used him to do. He was always humble. Now, God, God said he was going to raise up a king named Cyrus, and that Cyrus would set his people free, raised him up specifically for that purpose. That, that was the, the entire reason Cyrus exists. Look at Isaiah 44. And of course, we've already looked at some of this, but we'll stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. Isaiah 44 and verse 28. That saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, he shall perform all my pleasure even saying to Jerusalem, thou shalt be built, and to the temple, thy foundation shall be laid. Look at 45, verse 1. Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden to subdue nations before him, and I will loose the loins of kings to open before him the two-leaved gates, and the gates shall not be shut. Where would those two-leaved gates be? Remember, remember, who remembers us talking about the gates with leaves on them? Babylon. He's going to walk right into Babylon, and he did. Look at Ezra chapter 1. Ezra 1, and we'll read verses 1 through 3. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord God of, of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build, to, to build, uh, to build him an house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all, all his people? His God be with him, and let him go to Jerusalem." which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God, which is in Jerusalem. So that's the decree. Uh, God raised up Cyrus just for that purpose. All right, verse 2. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So Daniel was moved to confess, to confession, after he gained understanding, after reading the word of God. Uh, Some people hate books. (laughs) They hate reading. (laughs) Well, that's a problem if you're a Christian, because God wrote books. (laughs) And expects you to read them. And uh, Daniel, Daniel is, is reading, reading continually, gaining understanding. Um, 
not only does God expect you to read his books that he wrote, but godly men throughout history wrote books that would help you and be instructive to you. Uh, even some secular men wrote books that would be helpful and instructive to you if you know what you're looking for and what to read. But you got to read. We've talked about it here before. The three of the most powerful things you can do for yourself is, is learn to read, learn to write, and learn to speak. They are extremely important. If you, if, you can, if you will exercise your mind in that way, it will make you an unbelievably powerful and useful human being to the Lord God. But it takes work. Get in the books. Read. It's, it's great to listen to audio. This generation is so lazy, all they want to do is listen to audio. They don't want to read anything. They just... And you want to read the Bible. Now, I listen to the Bible. The Bible says you get a blessing from hearing and from reading the Bible. So I listen to it. But I read it also. you got to read. And I told you, that, I don't remember who it was, but it was a previous U.S. general. I don't remember which one it was. But he said, if you've read less than 100 books, you're effectively illiterate. How many books have you read? Yes, because Jude counts as a full book to him. Now, if that's sufficient for you, it tell I can tell. But but you got to read. Get your face. Get your nose in the books. Get off social media. Throw it away. Just throw it out the window. Never look back. Your life would be so much better. If all you do is sit and stare at leaves instead of Facebook, your life will be improved. But read. And then write about what you read. Take notes on it. Like Why? For your personal improvement. Maybe nobody will ever read them, but it will, it will build you. It will strengthen you. It will help you to read something and then regurgitate it yourself in your own words, in your own notes, in your own form. That's why we have these wonderful essays over here that everybody was so excited about. Because it takes, it's a lot of mental work to read something and then have to take it and put it in your own words and explain to somebody what you just learned from what you read. Then that ties into being able to speak. So now if somebody asks you about Daniel chapter 7, at least until you forget about it, You can effectively explain to somebody all about Daniel chapter 7. And and it's not from the audio, not from my audio or somebody else's audio. You read it. You went through it. You made your your own explanation of it. And so now now you have that knowledge and that understanding that you can take to somebody. And when they ask, what's going on in Daniel 7? You at least have a general understanding of it. It's so important to read. And all through the Bible, people are reading. God literally says, give attendance to reading. (laughs) Read. Read some more. Read it again. Read it a twelfth time. Just read. It's it's so important to be able to open a book. And and that those opening pages are introducing you 
to a series of ideas and thoughts that you're that are now going to be be argued for or against throughout the entire course of the book. And for you to be able to follow that chain of thought all the way through to the end is important. It it strengthens you. Got to read. God expects you to read. Daniel reads. We should also keep in mind that Daniel is reading the book of Jeremiah some 70 years after that same book was cut with a penknife and thrown into the fire. And yet there it is in Babylon. And so you, you have all these people with the King James Bible can't be, can't be what? How could God use a translation? I don't know. How did somebody burn God's word and he just reproduced it like it was nothing? And then said, and add these words to it. (laughs) Since he didn't like those, I'm going to give him some more. (laughs) It's not a problem for God. Did you know that that at the Tower of Babel, God snapped his fingers and different languages existed? So if God wanted to get his word from one language to another, he's not sitting in heaven like, why did I create all those languages? (laughs) What am I going to do now? (laughs) I don't know how to get from Hebrew to English. And God forbid I try to go from Greek to English. Just listen to independent Baptists. They'll tell you all about it. God failed. But thank God he has us. We can correct him for the next 400 years and tell him what what mistakes he made when he tried to go from from Greek to, to English. But God has no problem getting his his word where he wants it. We, what ha- the problem is that men don't trust him and that men want a place of superiority. And so what they need is for you to trust them. You need me to tell you what God really meant to say here. And if you don't have me to tell you what God really meant to say here, well, I just don't know where you'd be in life. Go back to Facebook. That might be better for you. <laughs> no, don't go to Facebook. Throw away Facebook. God had no trouble getting his word to Daniel, the same book in Babylonian captivity. He had no trouble. Uh, we can trust our copy of God's word. Uh, the Lord has, has, has no problem getting his word where it's needed. Uh, now, and and this, this is the other thing. Daniel's reading the book of Jeremiah. It's about Daniel. It's about Judah. I mean, it, it, it doesn't get any more applicable than literally reading about the captivity that you went through. And then the 70 years that are going to be accomplished on your people. Well, the same is true of us. You read the word of God and you see what it says about pride. And you see what it says about the world, this present evil world. And you see what it says about us being strangers and pilgrims here and all that we're going to go through and all that we're going to face. And it's, it's exactly the same thing. It's unbelievably relevant to our lives. Daniel's sitting there reading that, and, and you know, every time uh, Bethany has learned, she knows more hymns now than I do. I don't, she comes to me, and she's like, Daddy, can we sing this song? I'm like, I don't know that song. Tell your mom to stop teaching you songs I don't know how to sing. <laughs> but every time we go in church, when we sing one of them, she immediately looks up at her mom with this bright look on her face. She's all excited because she knows every word to the hymn and can sing. She walks around the house just singing them. I feel like that's how Daniel must be feeling right now as he's reading. He's like, <laughs> he's looking up to God like, that's us. We're about to go home. 
The word of God is about you. It's about me. It's about us. It's about Israel. It's about Gentiles. It's about Christians. It's, it's unbelievably relevant to our lives. You can't leave it out. So you got to read it and study it and memorize it and meditate in it. Let's look at verse 3. And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Now, why? Why is Daniel afflicting himself in light of what he just read? I, I think this is, it's, 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 I don't know the, the best way to explain it or to articulate it, but I think this is unbelievably important for our day. Adrian Rogers said something to the effect that your greatest fall will be immediate, will be 15 minutes after your greatest victory. And it's like Daniel just read about how the 70 years have been accomplished and God's getting ready to send these people back as he promised. And Daniel's like, oh, no, <laughs> we're not ready. It, it was time we were just just going through training to become a eunuch in Babylon only four people didn't eat the food. Only three people were thrown in the fire because they didn't bow down to the image. Only Daniel was thrown in the lion's den. And these are the same four people from the first chapter who didn't eat the food. What was everybody else doing? Well, you know, we're in Babylon. It's, you know, it's okay. I love the Lord, but let, let me bow down to this image. I'll come back and tell you how much I love the Lord. You know, Merry Christmas. <laughs> they bow down to Baal in the name of the Lord, and they have excuses for why it's acceptable for them to do it. And so now you have Daniel who just realized God's sending us back. But the reason we're here is because we're so pagan and dirty and filthy that God had to send us away and we're going to go right back worse than we were when we came. Somebody better start praying. Somebody better start confessing some sin. I think I'll start right now. Ripped his clothes off, put on sackcloth, covered himself in ashes, began fasting and prayed, oh God, please don't be angry at us. Because if you look at what our people have been doing in Babylon all these years, you might not send us back. You might start that flame back up again and toss us all in. You might unmouth those lions. You might open the mouths of those lions and turn them loose on us. You're not, you're not toying with some weak, impotent God who doesn't care how you act. You're dealing with a righteous and a holy God who will deal with you if he has to. Don't toy with God. And so Daniel sees this and immediately comes to his mind, oh, uh, I mean, praise the Lord, but God has the same expectations of us. His expectations didn't change because we spent 70 years in Babylon. In fact, Daniel's going to say repeatedly, yeah, we, we, we just break the law of Moses. We don't, even, we don't even try to keep it. Well, that didn't improve in Babylon. And now they're going to be sent back. What are they going to go back and do? Then you get back and Nehemiah finds that 
the priests have married Gentile women and, and you got all this other sinful garbage going on and, and God's people, like they get the temple built and they get some reprobate Samaritan who's got his own bedroom inside the temple. Nehemiah comes back and rips it out and, and finds out these priests have married Gentile women and he rips their beards out and pulls their hair out and starts beating everybody. He's like, no, you're going to fix it. Do you know what God will do to us? And that's the problem. Nobody thinks God will do anything. They think they can keep. I saw a picture the other day, a meme that um, it had nothing to do with this, but it's a perfect example. This, this guy, I don't know what he thought he was doing, but in the picture, he had a long stick. It was maybe from here to that chair, and he's poking a bear. And he thinks because the stick is long, he's, oh, I'm okay from here. That bear will outrun you and rip you to shreds. And we have, we have a, a saying in English. I don't know if you have it in something like it here in, in, in Luganda, but in English, they say, don't poke a bear. That would seem to be obvious. I, I, I can tell you, I have, I've seen a lot of bears in Florida. Not one time did I ever think, I think I should go poke that bear and see what happens. You don't, you don't, you don't just poke a bear for the fun of it to see what will happen. You don't toy with God just to see what will happen. I went this far. God didn't do anything. Okay, poke him again. And then poke him again. And then the next thing you know, God comes, sends somebody knocking on your door and says, that cup I had with your name on it, you filled it up. But now I'm going to pour it out, but it's going to be wrath. It's going to be chastisement. Don't play with God. Daniel immediately goes into almost into a fear mode. It's, it's that whole idea again of judgment. It's like everybody's getting along fine in Babylon. Everything seems just fine. Nobody really cares about God. I mean, they, they say they belong to God. Then they go out drinking and, and, and participate in Babylonian religious activities and all, all sorts of other garbage that has nothing to do with God. And then God shows up and it's like, oh, yeah, there were things we were supposed to be doing. Yeah. And he's here. So now what are you going to do? Well, somebody better start praying. Somebody better start fasting. Somebody better act like they care before God becomes angry and this 70 years turns into another 70 years. Or he just cuts the whole thing off and, and deals with it in a far more harsh manner. Don't play with God. This same Daniel, possibly the same year, was cast in the, in the den of lions for his habit of praying to his God. And here he is still crying out to God in prayer. He, it, Daniel never ceased to pray, no matter what was going on, even when the laws were against it. Do you, do you see the, you take the excellency of Daniel, and one of the key features of that has to be his prayer life. There has to be an intimate connection there with his attitude, his gentleness, and coupled with his boldness and his prayer life. And part of that is, again, bringing your body under. Well, I don't feel like praying. You think Daniel always felt like praying? You think he just had this special feeling that we can't get? 
No, he did what he was supposed to do. And he loved God. Uh, He also decided to fast. Fasting will remind you how demanding your body is. And some people can't, they can't fast an hour. Act like it's going to kill them. I'm so hungry. Shut up. Go jump off a cliff. That'll get rid of the hunger. At least make you forget about it. It's just, just no control over their body. Their body is screaming, I'm hungry. And so then their mouth repeats it. I'm hungry. Well, that's the point of fasting is to be hungry. You understand fasting means I'm not eating. If you don't eat, guess what's going to happen? You're going to get hungry. But are you going to give in to your body? Are you going to give in to those demands that your stomach is making? My flesh wants food now. Yes, sir. Let me subject myself to the bondage of my flesh and get you exactly what you want. Let me put no effort into bringing myself into subjection and to bringing my thoughts into the subjection of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to bring my body under. I'm going to let it bring me under. Fasting will help you very quickly find out where, where you and your flesh stand. Do I have control over my flesh or does it have control over me? But you, tell, you wake up tomorrow morning and you tell your body, we're fasting for 24 hours. No food until to, to the next morning. And watch what happens. Your body will, you, you don't even, if you don't even wake up hungry, suddenly your body will be the hungriest it's ever been in its life. Just in case. It's going to kick, it's going to scream, and you've got to take it, and you've got to tell it to sit down and shut up. I'm controlling you. And if you will get your appetite under control, there's a better chance you'll get fornication under control. And you'll get a lying tongue under control. And you'll get adultery under control. And you'll get anger under control. You'll get all these other things under control if you can get your stomach under control. That coupled with prayer and and focused attention on bringing my body under. It also helps to determine the level to which you have brought your body into subjection. If you can't handle fasting one day, you don't have much control over your flesh. I, I, you know, this, what's what men in America do? They, I'm fasting. Oh, oh, you're fasting today? Oh, well, no, just one meal. One meal? Well, you, you soldier for Christ. And what is that? One meal. I, I accidentally skip meals. I'm like, oh, I didn't even eat lunch. <laughs> you just, we, <laughs> or they say, well, it's, it's a digital fast. A digital fast? What is that? Well, I'm just taking a break from social media. Just get rid of it. If it's something that you need to take a break from, you're in serious trouble. I don't need to take a break from social media. I hate it. I have it. I look at it occasionally, I put stuff on there, I don't play with it. It's a complete waste of time. Every time I go and look at it, I sit there and I'm like, why? Who would sit and look at this? It's like 
it's like the entire world got together and said, let's, let's see if we can have an, a, a, a continual running stream of ignorance and trick people into looking at it. And people just sit there, scrolling through it. Well, I, I need to fast. I need to take a break from social media. Um, you, need, you need something. Taking a break from social media is not it. You need to get some control over yourself. Bring your body into subjection. There's so much what what we have here at stake. Not only should you be concerned about an angry God who's not happy with the direction that many things are going, but there are a number of people who are dying and going to hell. There are a number of people who need to learn the word of God. We all get frustrated. We meet somebody who says, are you saved? Yeah, I'm saved. Well, how'd you get saved? I trusted in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Oh, praise the Lord. You're saved. That's great. Where do you go to church? I'm Catholic. What happened? (laughs) Nobody taught them anything. Now, whether they didn't want to be taught or the person who led them to the Lord didn't want to teach them. Something happened. There was a disconnect somewhere. Somebody took that little baby and said, I'll just set it right here. And somebody else will hear it crying and take care of it. I got to go. That newborn babe in Christ... And they just left it on somebody else's doorstep and hoped that they would take care of it. You, you, we, it's, it's our responsibility to build people up in the word of God. Who else is going to do it? N- name another church within an hour from here. You'd have to go all the way to Embedizi. You have to go all the way towards Kampala to even come close to a church that you could trust to teach people something properly from the word of God. Where else would you go? So who else is going to do it if it's not us? Daniel's prayer begins with immediate sacrifice. That changed your prayer life. He's not just blowing more carbon dioxide into the air for climate change, whatever that is. He's he's praying and then he's demonstrating how serious he is by acting on the ideas that he's, 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 he's proposing to God. He wants to show God, I'm not just talking. I am serious. I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to wear a... This, this man is, is president of the presidents in one of the, the most massive empires the world has ever known. And he's sitting there in sackcloth and ashes. I will not, I will not be, this is, this is what frustrates me about young men in America currently. They're, they're so soft. And, and I give many of them a hard time about foods they eat and drinks they drink and the junk they put in their hair and then they get pedicures and manicures and what is wrong with you? Be a man. Go eat some dirt or something. I mean, just you, you, you need you need it. They're so soft, and all, they have so many choices in America. You can just you have so many things. I want. I go here and I get this drink, and I go there and I get that drink, and 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 it's just it, we have a weak country full of weak young men. Weak men bring disaster. 
And they think I'm joking, and I am partially joking, <laughs> partially. But there's more to it than, than, than me just making fun of whatever they, they chose to wear or do or drink or whatever. It's like, not long ago, men would never drink that, ever. Men would never wear that, ever. Now it's like, are, are you comfortable with your masculinity? Yes, I'm comfortable. That's why I don't wear pink. Sorry, brother, I didn't know you were wearing that shirt. <laughs> He's not from America, so it means something different here. I'll just... <laughs> I'm comfortable, so I don't wear purple. Like, well, if you're comfortable with your masculinity, you can wear these feminine uh, clothings and, and, and know that you're still a man. That's stupid. Because I'm masculine, I don't wear those things. I don't drink that. I don't go there. I don't put junk in my hair. I don't go get, you know, manicures and pedicures. I don't do that garbage because I'm a man. I want my wife to go do those things. I want my wife to go enjoy those things. I want her to be soft and comfortable, but not me. And that mentality, that, that sort of that, that what seems like an arbitrary or useless level of hardness is gone. And that's not good. That means weak men, and that means a weak country. Daniel said, I am not putting on soft clothes. I'm not going to eat. I'm going to cover myself in filth. I'm going to sit here in ashes God, until you see my heart, until you understand how serious I am and how terrified I am right now. I am both excited and terrified at the same time. It's a joy to my heart. We get to go back home, but I don't think you're going to be happy with what you see when you see your people. And I'm afraid, having seen what we, we saw in the book of Jeremiah, I am afraid what you might do to us. Please turn away your anger. That, that, that's the progression. We have sinned. We have transgressed. We have done wickedly. We didn't listen to your prophets. We, did, we disobeyed your law. We did everything wrong. But God, please, based on your righteousness and on your mercy, on your forgiveness, please turn away your anger from us. That's what's going to happen here. And Daniel wants God to know he's serious. We, we should be broken by sin, pride, slothfulness, and a lack of, lack of concern for God's, God and his word. And it just seems like nobody cares. I don't understand it. It's like just, it's become the status quo, so... Well, and then we find somebody who's serious and they read their Bible and they pray and we're like, wow, that guy is a spiritual giant. Well, what did he do? He read his Bible. <laughs> oh, well, isn't that what we're supposed to do? Well, and, and he prayed. Yeah. And he fasted. That, that's, that is reasonable service. Those are the fundamentals. Those are the basics. And we don't do enough of it. And we need to repent of it and fix it. 
We read little, we pray less, and we change nothing. That should not be characteristic of God's people. Daniel was serious and he wanted God to know he was serious. Verse 4. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. In his prayer, Daniel associates himself with the sin of Israel. It, it, It does not seem to matter to him whether he were guilty or not. If Israel sinned, Daniel felt responsible. He admits that they are in captivity because they continually broke the law of Moses and refused to listen to the prophets. He claims no personal righteousness for himself nor for Israel. His only hope are the mercy and promises of God. He immediately appeals to God's promises and God's mercy. God, you made a covenant, you made promises, you're merciful. Would you please, please turn away your anger? He said he made his confession. Uh, you'll notice that his confession was to God, not a priest. Not, not, even, a, not even a Jewish priest of, the, of, of the, the old covenant. And certainly not a Catholic priest. You don't make your confessions to men. You confess to God. He's pouring his heart out to God. As far as we know, there's nobody else in in, in this room or even close enough to hear Daniel. He is praying to God. That's who you confess your sins to. Now, this was not some useless religious exercise. This was a real man pouring his heart out to God. Daniel was free to go to the Lord anywhere at any time, and he did not need the assistance of a religious figurehead. Now, To contrast that, Judas Iscariot confessed his sins to priests. How did that go? Not too good. They can't help you. They can do nothing for you. And if he's a certain kind of Catholic priest, he's going to say, oh, tell me more. (laughs) By the way, you're going to make a donation next week. If not, somebody might find out about what you told me. You don't confess your sin to men. That's between you and God. Now, you fix your sin. You correct it. But when it comes time to confess and to be cleansed, that's a conversation between you and God. Set up a confessional and sit and listen to people pour out their filth all day long. Can you imagine? No wonder they're a bunch of reprobates that go after children. I mean, they sit and listen to the worst things that people do all day long and oh, we'll say 10, 10 Hail Marys and, you know, do the little finger thing 10 times and you're forgiven. Oh, by the way, don't forget to leave money on the altar on the way out. Bunch of reprobates. What was Daniel confessing? Look at verse 20. And whilst I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel... And presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. Daniel said, I was confessing my sin. What sin? Now, look, we know Daniel was not sinless. But it seems like he was pretty close. And he's there pouring his heart out, confessing his sin. 
and then confessing the sin of his people, Daniel declared himself guilty along with everybody else. Now imagine, I wonder what the world would look like. I wonder what Uganda would look like. I wonder what America would look like. Whereas instead of being able to just complain about everybody's sin, what if we confessed the sins of our countrymen to God on their behalf and asked God to help them? That's what Daniel did. He said, I have sinned. Israel has sinned. Lord, please turn away your anger. Please help us. Please be merciful. He said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God. This is a tremendous recognition of reverence and respect. The God to whom he is praying has the power to move an entire Gentile army to burn down your city. That's, I mean, that'd be something to think about before you start. Lord, you said 70 years. It's time for you to send us back. You need to do what you said you're going to do. You don't, you don't just... Be careful how you go to God. Daniel was very careful. He could send a single angel capable of taking out hundreds of thousands of men in a night. (laughs) You should fear this God. The Bible tells us repeatedly, fear the Lord. And then what preachers come along behind that and they say, that doesn't mean to be scared of God. What does fear mean? It means be afraid. So why would you tell somebody the words here say to fear the Lord, but it doesn't mean that. So don't actually fear God. It just means have some respect for him. That's not what it means. Fear the Lord. Want to depart from evil? You know how you do that? You fear God to the extent that you don't want anything to do with evil because you know he's going to do something about it. Those of you who had stern fathers, you love your father? Did you fear him? He said, don't do this. Did you do it or not? (laughs) And if you did it when he told you not to, were you excited to see him when he got home? (laughs) Probably not. It was not going to go well for you. Judgment morning was going to roll around (laughs) and you were going to be... Wishing you hadn't done what you did. It's, it's, it's that level of fear and respect that you have for a, a firm father. It, it should be much greater in God's direction. Fear God. If, if that healthy fear would come back, people wouldn't do the things that they do. That's one of the defining characteristics of, of the change we see in America. They removed things like the Ten Commandments from public life in America. Well, if you, the only document you have in existence that tells people not to kill each other or it's going to make God angry are the Ten Commandments. But you took that away. And then you told them that they are monkeys who evolved into human beings, so they're nothing but an animal. So how do you think they're going to act? Like animals. And that's the direction our country's going in. No fear of God. Everybody's a monkey. (laughs) Monkeys are territorial. Guess what they're going to do? They're going to fight. They're going to tear things up. They're going to hurt people. And that's characteristic of our major cities all around the United States. And it didn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way here. 
if somebody will go tell them. The great and dreadful God, both aspects are true and cannot be left out. You've got to have both. You can't pretend like he's, oh, you're just so great. Oh, we love you. You're wonderful. Yeah, I'll crack your head if you don't stop sinning. <laughs> like he's, he's dreadful also. You can't have one or the other. And, and that's, we have two camps in Christianity. You have people who major on God being dreadful, and you have people who major on God being great, and they pretend like, both camps pretend like the other one doesn't exist. And you can't do that. Both are true. He is great. He is merciful. He is gracious. He's also dreadful and righteous, and he, and he demands judgment. Look at Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, verse 31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, what that means is that God just, you should be scared of falling, you know, to fall into the hands. So it's just, God doesn't want you to fall. It's a fearful thing to fall. That's what that means. You shouldn't be fear, you shouldn't fear God. The next time somebody tells you that, you, you can mark that man as a liar who has no clue what he's talking about. I know it says to fear God, but fear doesn't really mean fear. He's our father. You should fear God. Be terrified. It is a fearful thing. According to God, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Walk circumspectly. Be careful. I just feel like you want, you know, God wants us to walk on our tiptoes. Yes. Until you go to heaven, walk on eggshells. Be careful. Be scared. You're in a present evil world. What do you think they want to do to you? What do you think God will do to you if you go with them? (laughs) You've got to be careful. And the way to elevate that level of care is to fear God. If you fear God, you're going to take an extra amount of care to do what God wants. If you don't fear God, you're not going to care. God's not going to do anything. He's just hanging out up in heaven. I can go run around and do whatever I want. Yeah, you can. But he might show up with a belt and leave some lashes on your backside because you thought you could toy with God. The chastisement of God is very real. While we're here, look at, uh, well, let's go to Nehemiah 5. Nehemiah chapter 5. And let's read verses 14 through 19. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah. Now, this is the same people. Now, in Daniel, these same people are still in captivity in Babylon. In Nehemiah, they have returned back to Judah. They rebuilt the temple, and now they're, uh, with, with the leadership of Nehemiah, they're rebuilding the walls. So let's, let's hear what he says. Moreover, from that time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah from the 20th year even unto the 2 and 30th year of Artaxerxes the king, that is 12 years, I and my brethren have not eaten the bread of the governor. But the former governor that had been before me were chargeable unto the people and had taken of them bread and wine and beside 40 shekels of silver. Yea, even their servants bear rule over the people. But so did not I because I because of the fear of God. So he's saying that the previous governor abused his position. 
took advantage of it because he didn't care. But because I fear God, I'm not doing that. You see the difference? It elevated Nehemiah, made him far more careful, a far better leader, far more accountable. He said, I fear God, so I don't care what they did. I don't care how they, how they lived. If I'm made president tomorrow, the world would have no clue what to do. Well, well don't you want to make all this extra money and fly around the world and do all these things? No. Why do I need to do all that? I have a country to run. I'm not going to go play golf and hang out in Hawaii and do all these stupid things that presidents do. I'm going to run the country. And so Nehemiah said, I, I'm not doing what they did. Look at, look, at, um, uh, look at verse 16. Yea, also I continued in the work of this wall. Neither, neither bought we any land, and all my servants were gathered uh, thither unto the work. Moreover, there were at my table an hundred and fifty of the Jews and rulers beside those that came unto us from among the heathen that are about us. Verse 18. Now that which was prepared for me daily was an ox and six choice sheep. Also fowls were prepared for me and, and one, once in ten days a store of all sorts of wine. Yet for all this required not I the bread of the governor. Because the bondage was heavy upon this people. Think upon me, my God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people. Now, what did he do? He said, I sacrificed what I could have taken. Because the situation that our country is in, the situation that Jerusalem is in, did not merit my overstepping those bounds and taking those things. And so his appeal is to God. He didn't go to the people and say, now when re-election comes, remember, I didn't, I didn't take those things. <laughs> remember, I was working for you, the little man. I love the little man. You know, I'm, I'm the, just remember that. No, you said, God, you know, I, I, I acted in an honorable way with integrity and I did what I was supposed to do and I took nothing that I didn't need. Remember me. That's the way you're supposed to approach work, marriage, parenthood, whatever. Whatever it is in life, that's how you do it. You do it honorably, and then you hope that God will recognize what you've done. Because other men, somebody wants your position. It doesn't matter how good you think you are or how well you've done it. Somebody wants to get rid of you. What did Daniel do wrong? And what happened? They tried their best to get rid of that man. All right, so it's not, the question is, can you, can you come home at the end of the day and say, Lord, today I did what I did to honor and glorify you. Will you please remember that? That's it. If you fear God, you'll live your life that way. It'll affect the way you work. It'll affect your relationships. It'll affect what you do at church. It'll affect everything. In a positive way, it'll elevate you. If you don't fear God, you're going to be flippant. You're going to be abusive. You're going to overstep your bounds. You're going to take things that don't belong to you. You're going to do all sorts of stuff that maybe you could get away with. Maybe people wouldn't complain about. Or you might go even further and just steal. Because you don't fear God. What's going to stop you? What, the police? 
You just give them some of what you stole, and the police will say, okay, see you next time. So, so if you don't stop you, who's going to stop you in Uganda? You have no rule of law here. The law is supposed to exist to help be an extra limit of a limiting fear upon people. Everybody here knows that <laughs> they know how far they can go before they, they might bring down enough trouble that the police come and do something. And they'll go that far. And, and so it's, it's nothing but trouble. Second, second uh, Corinthians, second Corinthians six. Oh yeah. Verses. Um, We'll read 14 all the way through to the first couple of verses, first three verses of chapter 7. Verse 14, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion uh, hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? (laughs) That'd be a good question to ask modern Christians. Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty." Having, therefore, these promises, all right? So, so that's looking back to what we just read, right? Chapter 7, verse 1. Having, therefore, these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. If you don't fear God, you're not doing that. You're not cleansing anything. You're going to live with it. You're going to keep doing it. What's the point in cleansing anything if there's nobody to fear, nobody to worry about? My sins are forgiven. My soul is saved. Man, why not just live it up? Well, you might make God angry, and he might do something about it. And if you would just live under the assumption that I should fear God and what he might do, because he might actually do something, then you won't do those things. You'll cleanse yourself. You'll remove those things. Verse 2, receive us. We have wronged no man, we have corrupted no man, we have defrauded no man. I speak not this to condemn you, for I have said before that ye are, ye are in our hearts to die and to live with you. So that, that's leading into Paul saying, I have given every, every ounce of me to you. To you. You say what you want. I belong to you. I've given myself to you. I love you. I'm ready to be spent for you. You get mad all you want. I love you. But if there's no fear of God, who are you going to serve other than yourself? I need to make me happy. Life's all about me. That, 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 is, that is the modern philosophy. Well, you need to take care of yourself. You need to think about yourself. Well, that's not what God said. God said you need to esteem others better than yourself. You need to look on the affairs of others. You need to be taking care of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus Christ said, if you see a brother have a need, well, that's what we say, well, I know he needs that, but I want this. So I'll pray for you. Be warmed and filled. <laughs> what is that? 
You got a bunch of selfish, self-centered Christians. They don't want to give to the church. They don't want to give for the gospel. They don't want to look on the needs of their brethren. They will not esteem somebody else higher than themselves. And so we're ineffectual. Nothing happens. It's a dead religion, and it ought not to be. A proper fear of the Lord will cause you to act in honorable ways. A lack of fear will cause you to act in dishonorable ways. That, that's, that's very important. I mean, think, think about the teaching. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of understanding. To fear the Lord is to depart from evil. Do, do you see that connection now? So if I fear the Lord, I'm going to depart from evil. I'm not going to go in the way of something that is evil. I'm not going to participate in something that is evil. If I don't fear the Lord, what's that? I mean, I'm not going to go. I'm just going to, I'm just going to look at it. I'm just going to peek. I'm just going to talk about it. I'm just going to listen to somebody else talk about it. And the next thing you know, you're 10 miles down that road and nobody knows who you are anymore. Because you didn't fear the Lord. And then when somebody comes and says, well, you used to come to church with us, but you're a bunch of hypocrites at that church. Aren't you the one running around drinking and partying and doing things that God said not to do? Well, the Lord loves me. <laughs> I'm saved. Okay, you might be, but you don't fear the Lord. And he might come knocking on your door. He might send Nathan to come. I'm a prophet of the Lord. <laughs> Sent me with a message. It's called chastisement. <laughs> Hope you're ready. You have life insurance. <laughs> Daniel's confession began with the greatness of God. Look at uh, before he ever gets to the reality of their sin, he just he lifts up God repeatedly. Look at, go back to Daniel 9. I was about to tell you where to turn, and I'm not even there. Daniel 9, and, and let's look at this, this progression of, of elevating, elevating the Lord. Daniel 9, verse 4, And I prayed unto the Lord, my God, and made confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God. Look at verse 7. O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee, but unto us confusion of faces, as at this day to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and unto all Israel that, that are near and that are far off through all the countries whither thou hast driven them, because their trespass uh, that they have trespassed against thee. Look at verse uh, uh, 14. Verse 14. Therefore hath the Lord watched upon the evil and brought, brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous. So that's two times in a row he's talking about the righteousness of God. And then um, I put the wrong verse here, but I think it's, I think it's verse 15. And, and now, O Lord our God, that has brought thy people forth out of the land of Egypt, with a mighty hand and has gotten uh, the renown as at this day we have sinned and have done wickedly. So, he, he, and then verse 16, he talks about the, the righteousness of the Lord. So he just goes on and on and on, lifting up this great and righteous God. But look at the contrast. All right, so, so God, you're great. You're righteous. You're, 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 you have renown. You have all these wonderful attributes. 
Well, look at the contrast. Back to verse 5. We have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgment. Verse 6. Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants, the prophets, which spake in thy name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all. Nobody listened, Lord. We, we, nobody hearkened to your word. Look at verse 8. O Lord, to us belongeth confusion of face, to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. Verse 9. To the Lord our God belong mercies and forgiveness, forgivenesses, though we have rebelled against him. Verse 10. Neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. We, we have completely disobeyed God. Verse 11. Yea, all Israel have transgressed thy law, even by departing, that they might not obey thy voice. Therefore, the curse is poured upon us, and the oath is, uh, that is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against him. Verse 13, as it is written in the law of Moses, all this evil has come upon us, yet made we not our prayer. Uh, that, that's striking. What did he just say? We refused to pray. So you go down, you go down this, let's look at, look at what, what, let's finish the list real quick and then we'll, we'll run over it and then we'll take a break. Uh, verse 14, let's look at that real quick. Therefore hath the Lord uh, watched upon the evil and brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all his works which he doeth, for we obeyed not his voice. Verse 15, and now, O Lord our God, that has brought thy people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and has gotten thee renown, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. So the list is we have sinned, we have not hearkened, we have sinned, we have rebelled, we have not obeyed, we have sinned, we did not pray. And that is, that one just, who would have put that in a list when you're confessing to God the sin you've committed against him in that list is we didn't pray. In light of that, anybody here need to go talk to God? Just me? <laughs> Everybody here prays so much that, that you, you can go to God and say, I pray enough. I don't need to repent. That is striking to me really stands out to me. As Daniel is praying to God, Daniel who prayed faithfully three times a day, every day, regardless of what's going on, and he says, Lord, we did not pray to you. We did not do right. Then he goes on, we obeyed not, we have done wickedly. And so he makes his appeal to God based on these things. And praise the Lord, God hears him eventually. But this is an incredible prayer. Let's take a break. We'll come back and pick up. Actually, let's, let me finish this real fast, and then we'll pick up in the next verse. Uh, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him. Notice the, the condition here, to them that love him. Um, you hear people say, God's love is unconditional. No, it's not. Christ died for your sins. God loves you, but he's going to send you to hell. So if you want to say, well, he loves me even when I'm in hell. Okay, I mean... <laughs> I don't know how that's helping you or what, that, what there is to boast about that, but God's love is definitely con con conditional. Uh, the covenant God made was both negative and positive. If they obeyed, they would live peacefully, which we're going to read, read some of that in, in a minute, and prosperously in the land. If they disobeyed, they would live in utter misery and then be removed. 
Uh, We live under a new covenant, also known as the New Testament. There are no behavioral conditions on our remaining in Christ, but if you have a healthy fear of the Lord, you'll, you'll behave properly. If you don't, then you will not. But we're supposed to live pure in Christ Jesus. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption podcast.